Okay, we ready? All right, brethren, good to see you all. In uh, reflection on what this series has turned into, I think I might just change it from principles and practices of giving to principles and practices of finances, and we will talk about giving as well as one of those aspects, but uh, one of the reasons I want to broaden this to finances is because if we are going to talk about giving, and we are going to talk about that eventually, we have to have in order to give. We have to acquire wealth in order, and, and income in order to be able to have something to give out. And so I thought it would be helpful that we look at uh, the issue of wealth. What does the Bible, particularly the Proverbs, have to say about wealth and acquiring wealth? That way you have the ability in order to give and invest and spend and so forth. So we are going to be talking about these things. As I said, the more that you uh, unpack the caveats of finance, the more re- you realize the Bible has a lot to say on these subjects. And so that's why I think I might retitle the series of principles and practices of finance or finances. So we're going to be looking at wealth and we will be, uh, as I said, coming to talk about what we can do with that wealth in terms of giving, uh, maybe even sooner than later. But I want to, this morning at least, talk about very simple principles that we gain from the Proverbs. I don't think that this is going to be anything that is going to be shocking to you. It might be conceived or perceived as shocking to society. Uh, That's what I was talking about with uh, Pepe, just how society would say that uh, there is an inordinate amount of wealth that one ought not to have, or um, how wealth is gained according to scripture, is perceived by our, uh, by our modern society as, as uh, immoral. And so we have to navigate that, but I don't expect this to be anything that is going to be too shocking for us. Uh, the, what I want to do is use Proverbs as a means to enter into this discussion, and when Proverbs talks about any subjects, usually it treats it almost in a very black and white way, not all, always, but uh, wealth is going to be dealt with and how you can acquire it biblically, righteously, and how you can acquire it uh, with sin and wrong motives and uh, ill-gotten gain, as we talk about. And so I think by just the, the very surface level uh, entrance into the subject, we have to be able to say at the beginning that if the Bible says that there is a way to acquire wealth and there's a righteous way to do it, then by inference, that means that there is nothing inherently sinful about wealth. And again, I think this is kind of where our society has gotten to say that someone who has made a lot of money, either they're just inherently evil or there's something wrong with them or they got it in a wrong way. And we want to say, or at least I want to say to you, and Scripture, I think, says that there is something about wealth that is not inherently sinful. And we start with that supposition. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be some dangers of wealth that we'll talk about, but certainly there is uh, nothing wrong with it. And just to get us started, let me invite you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 8.18. This kind of lays down the foundation for, one, that having wealth is not inherently sinful, and two, one of the right ways to acquire wealth, and we'll put it in this category of good Proverbs 8.18 says, riches and honor are with me, and this is uh, wisdom speaking. Wisdom is being personified. So where does riches and honor come from? They are with me, wealth, uh, wisdom says. Enduring riches and righteousness. Now again, 
those two things could not be said simultaneously if they were at odds with one another, which is to say that someone who has riches is not unrighteous, as what our modern society might say. Uh, We continue reading in verse 19. My fruit, speaking of wisdom, is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. And so wisdom is even more desirable than physical wealth. Verse 20, I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice. Why? Verse 21, that I may, ca- uh, that I might, may cause those who love me, look at this, to inherit wealth, that I, might, that I may fill their treasuries. And so there is this distinction that we un- have to understand that there is nothing sinful about wealth. And that is often what we hear in society, at least in our Uh, very um, progressive society here. But the first thing I want to write on the board is when it comes to acquiring wealth, verse 21 makes it very clear. I might cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. In other words, wisdom is saying that the way that you acquire wealth, first of all, is through wisdom. Wisdom is the first means by which we would acquire wealth. And this is when you need to read all of Proverbs and other parts as well. What is wisdom? Well, it starts with fearing God. It begins there, and it's practicing and and, and doing those principles that God has set up in his world. Another way that we can see wisdom as a right way to acquire wealth, and, and, and by the way, when I say wealth, I'm just saying income right now. And if your income is not as great as others, that's fine. It's still wealth, okay? But uh, to, to gain income and to, to increase your income, that is also uh, a good thing here. Uh, another place where we see wealth acquisition intersect with wisdom is probably one you're already very familiar with, is the Proverbs 31 woman. Go to Proverbs 31 and notice what it says. Here I think there's a double meaning of Proverbs 31. This is not just speaking of a righteous woman, uh, literally, Uh, Throughout the Proverbs, you have Lady Wisdom and the uh, Mistress Folly, as often those two get personified. And so you could even say that this is wisdom yet again being personified. And so that's why it doesn't just apply to women here. Men can practice Proverbs 31 as well, because this is a good example of uh, wisdom being personified. Then in verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife? In other words, who can find a wise woman is to say, Uh, wisdom personified, who can find wisdom, for her worth is far above rubies, for her heart, uh, the heart of her husband's safety trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. And there is that principle that when you have wisdom, there is no lack of gain. And you read through this, verse 14, she is like the merchant ship, she brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, and she plants vineyards. In other words, she uses money wisely. She acquires wealth by wisdom. And uh, you, you see this all throughout this, this passage that we're not going to read all of it. But what you find is that if wisdom is being personified here, what wisdom looks like in practice, at least by the world's standards and eyes that we can visualize, how do I know that you're wise? Well, I can see what you do with your money, how you acquire it and how you use it and invest it and make more of it. And so we see that acquiring uh, wealth and and income through wisdom is good. The Bible commends this, to use wisdom. Secondly, the uh, matter that the Bible says to acquire wealth is good and righteous is through hard work. 
and diligence. We see this in numerous places, and I'll, I'll point out many of these. We'll write them down. Uh, look at Proverbs 10, verse 4. Let me put hard work on here. Please forgive the handwriting. Better than it's been. Proverbs 10, 4. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And we're, I'm just going to fly through these. There's a lot that we could look at. Look at 12.11, Proverbs 12.11. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding, or 12.27. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession, or 14.23. In all labor there is profit. Did you hear that? In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter, that is not working, leads only to poverty. And to make sure that you see that this is also confirmed in the New Testament, what does Paul say in Ephesians 4.28? Ephesians 4.28. I'll read it for you unless you want to turn there, but you can just write these down too. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. This is Paul's ethic here because he's drawing from the Old Testament that it is wise and good and righteous to work hard and to gather. And he even tells us why, that he may have something to give him who has need. We'll come back to that verse later when we talk about how you use this wealth in order to serve others and give. But the point here is, whether it be Proverbs, whether, whether it be the book of Ephesians, that the way that we earn wealth and income is by hard work and diligence. We even have the, the opposite of this in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 9 tells us the opposite. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. In other words, how do you not acquire wealth? You don't work hard. Slothful in his work. You see this also in Proverbs twenty thirteen. Do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. In other words, if you sleep in, if you oversleep, and if you don't do the work to get it done, you will come to poverty. And so the Proverbs and Scripture throughout is very clear that hard work is a right way to acquire wealth. That is a good thing. This is why we would talk about the Protestant work ethic. One of the things that has separated this land apart from most other lands is that what drove economically uh, the colonies and eventually the United States is that there was this Protestant work ethic. And you, you compare the Western world, you compare uh, North America, South America, you compare those uh, societies that were Protestant versus those that were Roman Catholic, and you will see which ones are first world and which ones are third world. And it comes back to that. The Protestants say, we're going to do what this says, and this says it's good to work hard and to make money. It's righteous. So that is the second way that it is right and good to acquire wealth. Thirdly, and I have, a, I have a number of these, the third way of acquiring wealth righteously would be by saving and investing. Saving and investing. I'm just going to abbreviate that. Saving and investing. Again, we're in Proverbs, so look at Proverbs 13.11. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
but he who gathers by labor will increase. I think it's the ESV that translates that. Gathers uh, slowly or little by little. He who gathers little by little. What does that mean? It's not that you try to acquire wealth all in one fell swoop, but that you, over time, little by little, you gather. What else could that mean but saving? That you don't just spend it all, but you gather, you take in, and you save it little by little. Look at verse 22 of Proverbs 13. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Just looking at verse 22a, the, the first part here, the inference is if it's a blessing to give an inheritance, the implication, the inference is that you have to have saved something by which to give. And so that's there by inference. But we have other very clear statements such as um, uh, Proverbs 21.20. Proverbs 21.20. There is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Now the inference here is that those who have oil, it's because they've saved it. Oil in the, the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. The idea is that the reason you have it is because you are saving it and you're not using it, uh, uh, you're, 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 not, um, you're not using it so quickly that you're not able, or excessively. Maybe we'll talk about excessive spending here in a moment. But here it's being stored up. It's a desirable treasure that you use sparingly. Or Proverbs 28.20. Proverbs 28.20 speaks of this. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. And there again, the idea, and I think the ESV helps capture this as well, that it's not by acquiring wealth in one moment, like you're trying to win the lottery, that's your only strategy of becoming wealthy. That's not, that's not good, that's not wise, that's not righteous. But here, the idea is a faithful man, someone who is diligent, will abound with blessings because they are slow to save and they're doing it methodically. And then we could include in, in there not just savings, but investing. Now, there is some ethical issues that often get brought up when it comes to the stock market because there is a bit of, of uh, a gambling that might go on, at least if I were to do it, because I have no idea what I'm doing. So it would really be me you know, rolling a dice to see I'll invest here and there. So I'm not saying that uh, investing is wrong, but I think actually Scripture advises to invest, that there is a right way to invest. And um, the easiest one to think of is the, the talents. If you go to Matthew 25, when the uh, servant who had one talent, and instead of, instead of bearing it, what has Jesus said you could have at least done? He says in Matthew 25, 27, you could have at least put it in the bank and earned interest. And therefore, Jesus is endorsing the idea that it is right and good to invest money. There is a safe, secure way to invest money that will bring about interest. And so it's not just savings, but that's also investing. You even see this concept, and I, I wish I had time to explore this a little bit more, but go to Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2. There is probably the, a whole chapter here about diligence and work, but verse 2 speaks of something that I can't imagine what it could mean outside of referring to investments. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2, give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. 
Some might say this is why you ought to diversify your portfolio. I don't know what that means exactly, but okay, I think I do I know what it means. But in other words, if you put all your eggs in one stock basket and that stock happens to burn up, Matt, I should have you up here teaching all this because you used to do this stuff, all right? Uh, I think he's saying here, you, you should, when you invest, diversify. I think this is just good practical wisdom. Lest, it says, uh, you do not know what evil will be on the earth. And so if you're only uh, investing in one part of the market or one part of financial industry and that happens to tank, all right, what do you do? Well, the, the wisdom here is that you invest and you spread it out. That seems to be what uh, is being uh, taught here in Ecclesiastes. So that is the third way that we acquire wisdom uh, righteously, whether by wisdom, hard work, savings. But next, I have two other categories. Next, we have frugal living, frugality. Fr- and this is I can't identify with, okay? So uh, th- this is uh, some uh, I know something about. Uh, we'll put frugality. I have a feeling we're not going to get too far and probably won't even get to the bad here. But frugality or frugal living and not excessive spending. And, and we, we do need to find that balance because there are some things that you just have to pay for. And there's times where you need to go in and get something a little special, I think. We could use the concept, sometimes there's a, a time to fast and then there's a time to feast. All right? And you got to know when that is and that's when you come back to, to wisdom. But frugality and not excessively spending is a part of how you would acquire wealth. Uh, there are some people who, as quickly as it comes in, it goes right out. That's why they can't save. That's why they can't get ahead. That's why they live paycheck to paycheck, because they're, they're trying to live a lifestyle that does not match their income. And we have Proverbs on this, Proverbs thirteen seventeen. Proverbs thirteen seventeen. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, Proverbs 13, 7. I think it's thirteen seven. Proverbs 13, 7, there is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. Now, I think the ESV captures this a bit better, and I left my ESV. I don't know how the NAS had. Do you have ESV, Todd? Could you read the ESV for me? So there is the frugality. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to financial counselors that talk about millionaires, and he'll ask, what kind of jeans do you wear? Do you get the expes- expensive designer jeans? No, they go to Walmart, and they get the cheap jeans. And then you look at those who are living paycheck to paycheck, and they've got the fancy clothes on. They have these nice, expensive cars, shoes, all this stuff, and they live in squalor. That's not wisdom. That is not wisdom, and there's a reason why they are not acquiring wealth, that they're not increasing in their income. And so there is, a, is an example of frugality, that it is good if you have money that you don't have to flaunt it, okay? You don't have to drive the most expensive car that you can afford, all right? There is a, a sense in which uh, it says that the one who makes himself poor, that is, makes himself appear not rich, all right, that person has riches, Right? And that, that is a good principle that I think a lot of us can learn and practice. I'm not accusing of anyone in here specifically. I'm just saying that th- there's a mindset here. A- a- and this hits us hard because we live in a very materialistic-driven society that whether it's keeping up with the Joneses or you know, having f- certain things as status symbols, the very fact that we have these as expressions tells us that 
our society is in a large part driven by perception and the perception being how much money do you have visibly in what you wear. And so uh, that, that is an element that we need to consider. Now, again, I'm not saying that there's not a time to spend on that because there is a principle that you get what you pay for, okay? And so if you're going to be uh, uh, doing a lot of, of traveling, you need to get a nice car that will stand up to the, 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 the wear and tear, okay? So there, there are those principles here, but we're saying necessarily frugal living and not excessive spending. Let me give you another passage. That same chapter, verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. And again, the idea is that the fool will openly flaunt their poor spending decision. And so that's uh, 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 something to be aware of. One more, Proverbs twenty-one seventeen. Proverbs twenty-one seventeen. And this this gets to the excessive spending. Proverbs twenty-one seventeen. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. What's the what's the idea there? It's not that you can't have pleasures and you can't have wine and oil, but the the one who uh, spends so much of their time and energy and monies into these things, they will eventually not have. Uh, the ability to acquire wealth. And so sometimes uh, there is a time to go without. And again, this is what I mean by excessive spending. I got to have the best. I got to have the best. Well, do you? Do you? Can you settle for going without for a time? Um, uh, Let's be honest. Sometimes we eat better than we have to. And I'm not saying it's bad, but what does the proverb say here? Again, Proverbs 21, 17, he who loves pleasure will be a poor man. Uh, Our society loves to, um, here's the foolishness of our society. Rather than teaching children how to cook, they're teaching them it's a good thing to go out to restaurants all the time. And this is what I'm talking about with excessive spending. People talk about how it costs so much money, you have to have so much money to raise a child these days. I don't get it because they're invested in this idea that they have to love pleasure to the extent that they always have to have these types of things and they're not living according to prudence and wisdom. They're not living according to frugality and they're always going about with excessive spending. And there's a reason that they're poor or there's there's a reason that they're not acquiring wealth. So what I want to say for you, brethren, is how do you know if you're doing too much or too little? I started with wisdom for a reason. Read the book of Proverbs. Get wisdom. What's the first thing to do when you get wisdom? Proverbs says, get it. Like, you go for it. It's one of the favorite truisms of the Proverbs. What do you need to do when you get wisdom? You go get it. You go get wisdom. You go after it. You seek after it. And so that would be my admonition to you is when it comes to discerning When is it frugal? When is it excessive spending? When is it not? Go to the Proverbs. Ask people. Ask for counsel. Or if you have a dear friend who will uh, break one of these social taboos and talk to you about your finances. And by the way, I I didn't even think about this as a um, uh, a sidetrack about the the issue with finances. I, I hope that what this can do is break down the the walls that finances are there there are typically two taboos in our society that pastors have a hard time talking about with their parishioners with anyone that's parenting 
and money. At least that's been in my experience. And Pastor Atkins, I think you and I have both talked about these two things has been difficulties. Don't tell me how to raise my kids. Don't tell me how to spend my money. I'm hoping that this will show you that there's enough in the Bible that we can lovingly or a a close friend in the church can come to you and say, I don't know if what you're doing is wise. I'm asking out, uh, out of humility and love. I think we need to be a little bit more humble about it when it comes to money because the Bible has so much to say about it. So that just kind of came to me there as a, uh, another rabbit trail. We need to be a little bit less, um, less defensive when it comes to uh, giving counsel when we might see that there could be some of these things not happening. Just letting you know that. I'm not saying as pastors we're going to say open up your checkbooks and let me see. We're not going to do that in our oversight meetings. Um, just so you know, at least I'm not planning to do that, and I'm pretty sure that Pastor Atkins is not either. But uh, I, I would say that there is a sense where we need to be less defensive when it comes to these things. Okay, one other uh, means for acquiring wealth, and then maybe next time we'll get to the wrong ways. Uh, the, the last one I have is simply by using it. This is going to sound strange, but how do you uh, acquire wealth? By using it. Maybe you've heard the expression, you can't, um, you got to spend money in order to make money. It's kind of what's behind this, but I want to say that by using it, but you use it in a couple different ways. Either for charity, we've already talked about the gift or the blessing of reward, that when you give, you receive, that's the biblical principle. So uh, one of the ways that you could acquire wealth is by using it. And so it could be by charity, but it could, buy for, uh, uh, it could be by investing it in the economy, spending it on, on, on wise things. In contradistinction to hoarding, and this is really what I mean by using it, instead of just saving it for the sake of I want all that I can and I'm going to can all I can get, there is a sense where the Bible speaks, about, um, speaks against hoarding and storing up. And I want you to see that, first of all, uh, Proverbs 11, we've already read it, but we'll read it again. Proverbs eleven twenty four speaks to this. Verses 24 through 26 speak to the idea of hoarding, and it speaks against it. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. So there it is, the principle of using it. And there is one who withholds, more than is right. Now, if you were to ask me, how do you know how much is too much to hoard? Again, I'm going to draw you back to wisdom. That's wisdom's you know, um, uh, uh, area to, to answer that question. But the, the Bible does say that there is too much that you can withhold. There's too much that you can save. There's too much that you can store up. That is, withholding more than is right, that it leads to poverty. Verse 25 the generous soul will be made rich. Now, we leaned on that passage to say that there is a blessing of reward when you give generously, even uh, to charity. He who waters will also be watered himself. But look at verse 26. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. Now, that language there is important. That here it's not just that you're hoarding it, but rather it's that you're putting it back into the economy. You're using it. And, and this would come back to what we saw in Proverbs 31. You don't just buy something so you can have all this great material things, but you're buying it that you might use it and you could continue to uh, acquire more wealth with it, but also use it to uh, invest into the economy or uh, bless others with it. 
But if you're just trying to buy up everything so no one else can have it but you, then this is going to tell us that the people will curse him who withholds grain. That you have it all and you're not going to give it to anyone. Well, no one's going to like you for that. And then it says in verse uh, 26b, blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. Now, I, I, again, I don't know, maybe this is none of you in here, and I can't imagine who is going to grow a crop of food and withhold it all and not try to make money with it. But then again, there might be that kind of, of mindset that says, I'm going to, um, I'm going to make everyone suffer uh, by my, my, my hoarding and not putting it back into the economy. Or I'm, not just, I'm just not going to be charitable. I'm not going to be generous with my giving. Those are some mindsets that the Bible talks about and that, the right way to acquire wealth is by you use it. You, 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 you invest it or you put it back in the economy, but to acquire wealth in part is by using that money that you do acquire, whether for charity or for other financial reasons. Another passage that speaks to this is Psalm 37, 21. We'll close with this. Psalm 37, 21. Psalm of David, verse 21, Psalm 37, the wicked borrows and does not repay. Look at this. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. In other words, this is that idea of of a blessing and a reward when you give. So how do you acquire? You acquire by using it. You acquire, you get more by using what you do get. And this is a, a principle of you reap what you sow. So these are the right ways to acquire wealth. Now, maybe we could have expanded upon this, but if I were to put a star next to either of these, I'm going to say, obviously, wisdom. All right? When someone grows a, a business, I'm going to say, wow, they've, they've had to use wisdom to grow it and hard work. One I forgot to put on here is um, by an inheritance, and I meant to have that on here, so I'm going to speak to that uh, later. Uh, but... We have hit our our limit, so let me close us with prayer. Our Lord God, we do recognize that your word tells us that it is uh, a good thing to practice wisdom and to acquire a wealth and income. Lord, may we be diligent and not foolhardy when it comes to these matters. Give us wisdom. Lord, may we seek after wisdom to know how we would use this and to, whether it be uh, save or not excessively spend, uh, to invest. Lord, we need your help in these matters. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.